Hey, what's up, PGF Nation? Before we jump into the episode, I got to let you guys know we had a lot to cover in this one, and I mean a lot, and it went longer than expected. So we decided to cut this episode into two parts. This is part one, of course, and part two of this episode will drop tomorrow. So if you're not already subscribed, make sure to do so so you get that notification when part two drops. Welcome to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. This is Pint Glass Football, drink beer, talk NFL and college football. I'm your host, Brad Fowler, and McKenzie Brewing is the official beer of Pint Glass Football. Follow them at McKenzie Brewing. Follow us at pintglassfootball.com. If you're new to the show, hit that subscribe button. What's up, PGF Nation? We are back with another loaded episode. Today, we'll give you our biggest takeaways from NFL preseason week one. We'll each pick our favorite NFL future bets for this upcoming season. We'll preview the NFC East and a lot more. But Alex and I are going to be joined by a special guest co-host today to help break it all down. Terrell Jones, who's the head of sports strategic partnerships at FlexPower and a former NFL strength coach for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the San Francisco 49ers. Terrell, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, guys. I really, really appreciate it. This is going to be a lot of fun. Terrell, you made some trips recently to the Dallas Cowboys, the LA Rams, and the 49ers training camps. I want to get your thoughts here on these teams, what you saw at these training camps. Give us a little peek behind the curtain here. Let's start with the Rams. Very interesting team this year. Great coach, some great players. We know some high-end players on this team, but they're looking to rebound from a nightmare season last year. What stood out to you at Rams camp? Well, you know, there's there's a couple of things that stood out to me. And, you know, and again, I'm you know, when I get invited to or when I ask to, to go to these camps, I'm very fortunate because I get to sit in the friends and family section. So I get to see I'm closer than, you know, than just the the uh, the average fan. You know, so one of the first things that I saw defensive defensive line go do their one on ones, do their individual drills. And they had one of their coaches was playing quarterback. And again, this is like supposed to be like half speed, the whole deal. You know, there was and <laughs> I'm watching Aaron Donald. There was two people on him, and the way that he broke through the line, watching this poor coach have to move out the way, and there was a couple times where he didn't move quick enough. I was like, oh, my God, like Aaron's going to kill this guy, but, you know, Aaron backed off. And, you know, to watch him on TV is one thing, but to see it live, I'm just like, oh, my goodness. Like, we all know how strong and how powerful he is, but to see him up close and do this live, I was like, I was so amazed. I was like, I have, you know, I've seen some great D tackles up front and close, but somebody like that is one of a kind. So I saw that, and then I watched, went over and I watched the offense a little bit. Then they, you know, they went seven on sevens, and then they went into their drills. Uh, you know, Stafford looks pretty good. You know, I, you know, I'm not saying he's one of the top ten quarterbacks, but he looked pretty good. My question with them is going to be at running back is, you know, they have Cam Akers and they have a few others, but that may, you know, that it's going to be interesting to see what happens with that in their offensive line. You know, they've lost some people over the you know past few years as well. One of my good friends is Eric Yarber, who's a wide receivers coach. So I got to talk to him quite a bit afterwards, just talking to him about the wide receiver room. And, you know, Yarber has been around for such a long time. Great coach. He's upbeat about it. You know, he, you know, they have some talent, but, uh, you know, they, in my in my opinion, you know, this is not no insider information, but, you know, I still think that they'll finish third in their division. They were having some issues, I think, contractually with Cam Akers, and I know he was injured, but he's now a year removed from the injury. He's should be back at full force, but I have that O-line is a lot to be desired from what I saw and watching what I saw. There's a lot to be desired, and I saw Sean McVay make some comments about that as well. Right. You know, and their and their defense is not as good as it used to be as well. But you know, but they have some rookies that they've that they've drafted that they've brought in that they feel pretty high, you know, high about. One thing I can do say about the Rams is that their coaching staff is very, very good. And as long as Sean McVay is there, you know, you can never count them out whatsoever. And they 
their practices are fast-paced practices. From what I see, they like to get in, get their work done, and not hold them over. But I will tell you this, they went into a two-minute drill. You know, the drill was over, and there's something at the last, one of the last two plays, something didn't go the way that Sean McVay wanted. And he says, okay, we're going to go again. And it's coaches like that that I really appreciate. Instead of saying, hey, you know what, we'll fix the mistake on tape. He's like, no, let's go back and let's go through another two-minute drill as well. Now, I want to jump to the Cowboys here. You were able to go see them out in Oxnard, one of the best rosters in the NFC, but there's changes this year with Kellen Moore out, Mike McCarthy taking over play calling. This defense could be a top-five unit in the league. A lot of interesting storylines here, but what did you take away from Cowboys camp? Well, you know, my, my, my first dis- disclaimer is that, you know, Dan Quinn is a close friend as well. I got to watch the defense, and I talked to Dan afterwards. So where I was positioned, I got to see the quarterbacks work. And they did their individual drills in front of us and watching, you know, Dak, you know, do his thing. You know, he, he looked pretty good. But the, the big question mark that I had going into this was, like, how well is Tony Pollard going to look? Because we know he had that injury. I'll tell you what, I think he's 100%. Because the drills that he was doing on his own and then – he went to the individual drills with running backs, and then they went to running backs and quarterbacks together. Then they went quarterbacks and wide receivers together, and then they, you know, then they brought the whole package together. Yeah, Tony Pollard looks really good, like very, very explosive. And Ceedee Lamb, ah, uh, man, he's he's bigger than you than he looks on TV, but you can tell that he is he's the alpha dog in that room. And you know, Michael Gallup looks pretty good as well. But the biggest thing that I took away from this was watching the defense and watching Micah Parsons. They had to pull him out of practice a couple plays because he was disrupting the offense so bad that they couldn't run the plays. And I was just like, wow, I have never, ever seen anything like that during training camp in my life. Once practice was done, Dan came over and, and we, he and I were having a conversation. And I said, how fun is it for you to coach this defense? And he goes... He goes, T. Jones, he goes, you have no clue how fun this is. He goes, I'm, on, I go, I'm going out with my wife on walks, and I get silent for about 10 minutes. And she says, you're moving around the players like they're chess pieces. And he goes, yeah, he goes, I am. He goes, because I can move people around so much and throw people off, especially when you have a Micah Parsons. He says, it's so much fun, and you know, for him, you know, he has to be more creative. And you know, make sure it works. And he's Dan's always been this kind of coach that he likes to get the input of the players as well. And with the Cowboys, I mean, everybody's looking at the Eagles to win the division, which I agree with. But I think the Cowboys are going to more improve than they were last year, just because of what I saw at practice and the people that they brought in. And now they, you know, now they got Zach Martin back in the camp as well. It's gonna, it's gonna be, they're, they're gonna be an interesting team to watch. You know, the fact that nobody's consecutively won that division in the last 16 years, I think the Cowboys have a great, still have a great shot yes. at having their time and leading that division. I, I, you know, there's not really too much to speak about the defense. I think what they did in the draft with Mozzie Smith, hoping that he can help them solidify the run along with getting Jonathan Hankins, who's when I was watching him with the Raiders, is really a really, really good interior defensive lineman that can help against the run and then also getting Stephon Gilmore that we're looking at probably a defense that's going to be top five. It's really that offense. And I know you said Tony Pollard looks good. And I know when Brad and I were going through it. I, I say I still say that they need another running back. I mean, I would love for them to really, for me to really buy into the Cowboys, to really go and get Kareem Hunt. I think he fits in that secondary role. He knows how to play it very well. He can fit in. He's a dual threat as well. He was doing it in Kansas City, not so much in Cleveland, but he does have that in his repertoire. If they had another running back, I would feel a lot more comfortable about the Cowboys. You know, I, I agree with you on their on their running back situation, but I think a, a back like Kareem Hunt, I mean, yeah, he would fill a great role, but I think that they need a back like, you know, similar to what they had with Ezekiel, who can get those those tough one to two to three yards, you know, and I, I don't know if Kareem hunts that, that kind of back. And again, with Tony Pollard, I don't know if he can go a full season as the every down back because I, I, I'm not sure if, he, if he's that kind of back to do that. 
So let's jump to the 49ers here, the last team that you were able to visit their training camp. This team is loaded. We know that. One of the best rosters in the entire NFL. They have legit Super Bowl aspirations. One of the best coaching staffs in the NFL. I'm I'm really excited here, Terrell, to get your thoughts on what you saw from this team at camp. So I went to the the first day that it opened. That was the day that Brock Purdy was not practicing. But it was, you know, it was... Sam Darnold, it was Trey Lance, it was uh, Brandon Allen. You know, the people that I was standing next to that I brought with me, <laughs> we started watching, and I said, watch Sam Darnold. And he can spin it. We know, you know, I mean, he, to me, he's always had the talent, but, you know, I think he was always been in the wrong system. But he and Brandon Ayuk put on a show that day, and I was like, oh, my goodness. He had a couple of deep balls, you know, and just the way that he – maneuvered in the pocket and, you know, seems like he already has a good grasp on the offense, you know, and, you know, I think we all know that with Kyle Shanahan's offense, it, it can be a little difficult, but uh, Sam did, did well, you know, Trey Lance, he looked okay. You know, he had some, he, he had some ups and downs. He was, you know, a little bit inconsistent, but, you know, but I mean, the one thing about that guy is he works. He does not uh, shy away from the work whatsoever. And he actually, after they were done with practice, he actually came by and he talked to one of my friends that was there and he's upbeat about everything. The, the defense, and you know, and here's the thing too about the defense. Everybody's like, yeah, the, you know, the defense is great. But for some reason, people outside of the Niners are not talking about Hargrave that much. And watching Fred Warner <laughs> go from sideline to sideline and actually dropping into coverage where he's covering wide receivers, that's a scary thought. That is so scary. And he does it with such ease and confidence and finesse. It makes your quarterback kind of hesitate and go a different direction. And their, their linebackers are probably, you know, I think probably the best starting linebacker duo that there is right now. But to watch these guys go at it, you're just like, it's, it's fun to watch. It's, it's great. And then watching, of course, you know, watching Christian McCaffrey, you know, do his thing. Watching the running backs, you know, I, you know and I even said this before the, the preseason. I don't know if Elijah Mitchell's going to have a job because as good of a back he is, you know, we all know that he's been hurt. But watching Davis Price and watching Mason run, I was like, wow, you know, they're they're very very impressive and just the way that that Kyle has interchanges them as well. And uh, you know, and Alex, you you've heard me say this before, but I've always said the glue to that whole quarterback room is Brian Greasy. Brian is one of the smartest players I've ever been around because Brian was a quarterback when I was at Tampa. He, he has not missed a beat whatsoever. And I got a chance to talk to Brian afterwards and, you know, talk to him a little bit about, about the quarterbacks and how excited he is to have everybody in the room. I truly believe that they're going to keep all three. You know, they may try to put Brandon Allen on, on practice squad, but I think they're going, to, they, they're, they're going to keep all three of those other quarterbacks because Sam Darnold's on a one-year deal. And if he opts out, if he doesn't come back, then, you know, and they try to trade, trade Lance, then, you know, they're basically down to – you know, one, maybe two quarterbacks. So that was the first day. But then I went back the last day, Dwight Clark day. And Dwight was my first GM. I was there. So anything I can do to support Dwight and the cause, you know, that, that he tragically passed away from, I'm there. And there was a lot of alumni there. But I got to see Coach Mariucci. He was there with the NFL Network. So I went over and said hi to him really quick. He gave me this big hug, introduced me to, to uh, David Shaw from Stanford. And the funny thing is that David Shaw and I have never really met, but we've crossed paths before. So that was nice. And that day, Brock Purdy did practice. To me, there was no doubt who's going to be the number one guy. None whatsoever. What people were, were buzzing about, it's like, okay, who's going to be number two? And I said, it's going to be Sam Darnold. And I think from this past weekend that we saw, it probably will be Sam Darnold to be number two and Trey Lance will be number three. But, you know, I, I love going to those practices. I, you know, I got to talk to Kyle a little bit after practice as well. And, you know, we, we exchanged some, some quick opinions. Of course, his opinion is a lot higher than mine is, but uh, it was just nice to ask him some questions and he answered them, you know, because we were away from everybody. And then I got to meet Steve Wilkes. He, Steve Wilkes and I have mutual friends and just to talk to him and talk to the equipment guys about, about him and how he treats the players, how he treats, you know, the staff, you know, the supporting staff. So, you know, and I could tell that, you know, they're going to be good. But they're not, of course, it's not going to be like the Miko Ryans was. You know, Steve Wilkes is going to have his own little twist. What made the, or put, put the, the frosting on the cake for me was at the end where the equipment guys invited me in. 
to the equipment room where I hung out for them and had lunch with them for like two hours. And just, you know, I mean, I know what the equipment guys do, but just to watch them, what they do. And then Brandon Ayuk came through and they introduced me to him. And then Debo came through and one of the equipment guys had uh, some guests in there and Debo was kind enough to sign for the, the, the kid that was in there as well and took a picture with him. So this father and the son went to lunch, went to grab some lunch with one of the equipment guys and he came, the kid came back and he was smiling. And I said, what'd you do now? He says, well, we were walking out and we bumped into Chris McCaffrey. And, you know, the equipment guy introduced us to Christian. And he goes, oh, where are you guys going? He goes, oh, we're going to go to lunch. So he walked over there with them, grabbed some lunch. They walked back together. And Christian was asking the kid all kinds of questions about, how do you live in Texas and you're a Niners fan and all this stuff? And he said that he was, the kid was over the moon. And so his father told me, he goes, yeah, he goes, my son won't be able to sleep tonight because he was just so happy. But, yeah, the Niners look good. I'm, I'm excited for their season. I'm excited for everything that they, that they put together. I, I enjoy going to the camps. I enjoy watching that. I get, I enjoy talking to, you know, the uh, talking to the you know the coaches, my friends afterwards, and you know, and again, you know, sitting with the equipment guys and listening to them, and you know, and I get all that that backroom you know chatter as well. But uh, yeah, you know, Sam Darnold is the real deal. Hargrave looks good. You know, they they they're they're something special this year. Sam Darnold really looked like the second string quarterback in that game. And I can imagine what it looked like uh, during practice and what was going on. But I think there's some real context to Trey Lance. You know, there's a lot of the bust, quote unquote, dreaded bust word being thrown around about him. But I think there's some context that goes around them. The one thing I am really worried about and really was looking at, and obviously they weren't playing a lot of the starters, is even though Mike McGlinchey might not have been the quintessential guy that everybody thought he might have been at the draft spot he was drafted at. But that right side of that offensive line with uh, Colton McKivitz, I think, is yes. currently penciled in as a starter. Yes. That's something to watch out for to to see what – because we know what Trent Williams is. I mean, we don't need to discuss him at all. And that right side over it's from right guard and right tackle is going to be really interesting to see how, you know, how that works. And I know George Kittle can help out a lot on that right side if he lines up on that right side, but it's going to be interesting to see what they can do. <laughs> My Raiders had a lot of easy pressures and in ways to the quarterback really in the opening part of that game that I, I didn't expect to see. Well, you know, the, and the thing is that the Niners understand, you know, that that right side on the offense is, is probably their weak spot. But just from the schemes that I saw that they do and the different things that they're, you know, that they've conjured up, you know, it's going to help them reduce as many pressures, sacks as they possibly can. The question marks at quarterback, especially after talking to you here, might be put to rest this season because I like their depth and I like what you said about Brock Purdy looking like the guy again coming into this year. I want to jump to the Jets because they just signed Dalvin Cook to a one-year deal worth up to $8.6 million. They also are going to activate running back Brees Hall now after adding Dalvin Cook. This Jets running back room, it might be one of the best in the NFL now. This move is also going to allow Hall to ease his way back from the injury. I'll start with you, Alex. What type of impact do you think Cook has on this Jets offense? I think he has a big impact. Again, we just talked about the offensive line with the 49ers. At least, at least there is a consistent stalwart on that line that we can count on. And with the Jets, those two outside uh, tackles in Makai Becton and Dwayne Brown are a little bit to be desired for. And I think strengthening that running game, if Brees Hall can return to form in which he was looking like he was going to be the offensive uh, rookie of the year instead of his uh, his teammate, Garrett Wilson, if he can return to that form along with Dalvin Cook, that's going to help out that offensive line a lot and in turn help out Aaron Rodgers because if we noticed it, if you paid attention to any of the comments after their preseason, or actually their, I want to say their joint practice, there were a lot of things that he had to say about the offensive line. So we know that we're seeing it and now he's mentioning it. It's now on the radar of everybody else. So it's going to be interesting to watch and see. And that's the one thing I think he can add if they decide, if again, if everybody returns to form, Brees Hall returns to form, that two-headed monster is really going to help that team out a lot in the passing game. Yeah, you know what? I I, I agree with you uh, to, to a certain extent. You know, I mean, having Dalvin Cook in there, I mean, what 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 a pickup! Well, I know that we've talked about this off air, you know, Alex, you and I. That that makes a lot of sense. 
we, you know, and I, you know, and I figured that once Dalvin visited, you know, the Jets, I figured that was the team that he was going to go to because he saw all the weapons. You know, he gets to play with Aaron Rodgers, but that left tackle or even that right tackle, do not be surprised if you see Billy Turner start. So Billy Turner's dad is my best friend back home. So I've known Billy ever since he was a baby. And, you know, he was drafted by the Dolphins and then, you know, he went to Denver and then, you know, he went to the Packers where he really made his name and made his money. And, you know, he was injured last year when he went back to Denver. But Aaron Rodgers and Hackett love, love Billy. And the thing about Billy is that Billy can play tackle or guard. And, I mean, if they, if they worked with him at center, he could play, you know, he could play center as well. But I think he goes into that starting lineup because he knows the system. They trust him. Um, he's very versatile, but we all know that probably the biggest thing about the Jets is their defense. That defense is going to be something, something else. They're going to put a lot of pressure on people. And again, I full disclosure, Jeff Albrick, defensive coordinator, was a player with me at the Niners, so I know Jeff very well, and I've I've exchanged messages with him and his family over the past few weeks. He's excited. He's very, very excited. You know, when you have players on both sides of the ball where they can produce that makes you a very very dangerous team zeke elliott not as splashy of a move but obviously a guy who's had a lot of success in this league joins the patriots on a one-year deal includes a three million dollar base salary and a one million dollar signing bonus that could be worth up to six million with incentives zeke is coming off really the worst season of his NFL career. But I think as a rotational player in key situations like third down and short yardage, I think he can still be a factor for New England. Alex, what are your thoughts? I love it. Downhill runner, excuse me, downhill runner, something that Bill Belichick likes to do, that old Bill Parcells adage, get a lead and just get into that. Uh, I want to say, Terrell, you can correct me if I'm wrong, that four minute offense that he loved to run when he was coaching the Giants and the Jets. Run that four minute offense where he just runs the clock down those three, three yards in a cloud of dust and just run and beat you up and run the ball down your throat, play those close games in defense. And this is going to be more of a throwback style i think we're going to see a lot from those two running backs we're mentioning ramondre stevenson and zeke elliott as well and just basically mold people over because one thing i can say about zeke regardless of him not looking as great when he falls he falls forward he doesn't lose yardage he's always falling forward so when they get in those short yardage or they just simply want to eat up clock those two guys are going to be able to do that and i think that addition is going to help you know i'm going to throw a name at you kind of comparing this this signage is uh, Corey Dillon. Because remember, you know, Corey was kind of an outcast and they brought him in and look what he did for that offense. I got a feeling that Zeke, you know, maybe not to that extent, but he's going to be a very, very valuable piece to them. And you're right. I mean, I, I like any team that can that has two backs that they can bring in that can give you, you know, high production. And, you know, and you think about Stevens, what, you know, what he did last year, and I had him on my fantasy team. So, you know, and everybody was laughing at me when I picked him up in the late rounds. I was like, okay, watch. But now you got a guy like Zeke in there as well, who's been around the block, who's, who I believe is very intelligent. You know, he has a lot to give. And plus, he's, he definitely is one of the best pass blocking backs there is in the league. So, yeah, so I agree with you. I think, you know, I think the, you know, with Bill O'Brien back there now, instead of, you know, you know, when they had Matt Patricia back there, I don't know what they were doing with that. That's a very, I think that's a very, very smart pickup. I'm glad that you brought up the pass protection because that's something that I was going to bring up here as well. Because I think third and long, he's going to be valuable because of his ability to pass protect. One of the best in the business as far as that goes. And I think that adds a lot of value for him on the field as well. So I think it's a nice move, especially at the price they were able to get him. I think it could work out well for a team that, like we've talked about here, is going to want to run the ball and have great defense. I think it's going to add some depth to that running back room, a veteran presence, and definitely a savvy move. What are your guys' thoughts here on this hard knock so far? We're one episode in. I think the new episode is going to air tonight. By the time this airs, it'll be on the air, but we're not going to get to see it here just yet. For me, guys, I really wish Hard Knocks would continue with the Jets through the entire season because this first episode was captivating. The Jets 
said publicly that they didn't want to be on hard knocks this year, but it seems like they've really embraced it. This team is young. They're exciting. And this new Aaron Rodgers is just fun and has really embraced his young teammates. I think it was a great watch episode one. It seems like Rodgers is all in not only winning in New York, but I think he's all in on rebranding his image at the same time. I want to get your guys' thoughts though. So I'll say this. I think one of the things that the Jets would have been worried about, and it was the same thing that I was worried about, is because Aaron Rodgers, nobody really kind of saw the Aaron Rodgers thing and how it was playing out yet. And at the time, Quentin Williams' deal wasn't signed. And I did not think that there, I guess, from the PR department was looking at it. We don't want to go into this this hard knocks uh, with with a Quentin Williams issue and, and let's say, an ornery Aaron Rodgers. They got the Quinn, they got Quinn Williams signed, and Aaron Rodgers showed by redoing his deal, deal giving thirty five million back. And I think what Aaron, I think Aaron Rodgers is a very self aware person. I think people had this image of him because he's in Green Bay and everything that he was, and you know how beloved quarterbacks from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers they are. I believe that Aaron Rodgers is is a very self aware guy. One of the things I heard, and I think we talked about it last week. When I said I was listening to Peter King, he said that when he went into the quote unquote darkness, he was thinking he was in the mindset that he was going to retire. And then he emerged, for lack of a better term, not retiring, but he went in with the idea that he was going to retire. So that's important. I think the second thing, and I say this about this really goes in certain places in this country, no matter the sport, if you win, you simply become a god. And Aaron Rodgers even though he accomplished a lot throughout his career, his resume looks very good, the MVPs, the one Super Bowl, and so on and so forth. However, if you bring a Super Bowl or any type of championship to this city, this elevates you to a level beyond what you were in Green Bay. And I think he's very self-aware of that, which is why we're getting this Aaron Rodgers buying all in, because I believe he wants to win and he wants he's doing everything he can because he knows what it means to his to him, to his career and what it mean what it'll look like for him in history if he wins in this city. The thing the thing about to me about Hard Knocks is I mean, I've always liked Hard Knocks. But with this team, and you know, we again, this it's the first episode. I want to know how much they had to edit, seriously, because there's more to it than what, of course, what, than what we're seeing. And I'm, and I guarantee you, it's probably more entertaining. You know, there's things that they probably just couldn't put out there. You know, and again, I'm going to give you another disclaimer. You know, about Aaron Rodgers is again, you know, because of Billy Turner. You know, I've got, you know, I've had some inside scoop about Aaron Rodgers and one of my good friends who I actually I tried to hire when I was the Niners and he decided to go to the Cardinals instead works with Aaron Rodgers on the offseason and they both told me about his personality is that his personality is not what you see on TV or on the field that he's a very likable person he you know he cares about his teammates he cares about the people that he works with he you know he wants to know about your families or you know what charities that you support and he'll support them as well but also too that he's got this sneaky kind of sense of humor to him to where it comes off very very funny but then of course you know when he's on when he's on the field you know you see something different but you know but Alex I agree with you I mean he knows what what's going to happen or what could happen if they win the Super Bowl or you know even if they go to the playoffs let's put it that way even if they go to the playoffs you know and they have a chance to win the whole thing that city is going to go bananas you know and if he does win a super bowl they may name a bridge after this guy but again he's you know he's he's the kind of guy that has that chip on his shoulder he's and i and i like and to tell you the truth i like athletes like that i like athletes who because that tells me that they really care and they're going you're going to get more out of them than what people anticipate but yeah, but I'm anxious to see now. I mean, we won't see probably till the third episode with with when Dalvin Cook's there. But I really want to see the change that's that that he that he brings to them. You know what what his personality is going to be like, and you know how everybody's going to embrace him. So this this, this is going to be interesting. This and this may be one of the best hard knocks I believe uh, in years. Yeah, I'm with you. I couldn't get enough. I, I just wanted to watch more and more. I wish there was more episodes. Like I said, I wish you could just go all season because I think this team is going to be so fun to follow. They've definitely become 
the team of the NFL offseason. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And I think it's rightfully so because like some of the things we've talked about, this team is loaded. They're they're talented at so many different spots. And now you bring in a first ballot Hall of Fame quarterback. Yep. It's just must-watch TV for sure. I, I can't get enough. I can't wait to watch some more of it. Now, another show that I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on that is, I believe last I checked, the number one show on Netflix right now, Untold Johnny Football, the documentary about Johnny Manziel. This was a really interesting watch. I've got some thoughts on it here. I want to get your guys' thoughts first, though, because a lot of different directions we could go here. I think some of this stuff we already kind of knew about Johnny Manziel, but there was definitely some interesting things that we learned from the documentary. So why don't you start, Alex? What did you make of this documentary? What are your kind of your first takeaways and thoughts on this one? I feel like I didn't know who this person was, who what we thought wasn't really what we thought. We can talk about the attitude, but what was happening on the field and not <laughs> knowing the playbook and partying and going on the field and playing like he did and succeeding like he did. There's a lot that was going on there. And then also, and I know, Brad, we've talked about it off air, the aspect of the idea that I thought he and his family actually had oil money and that basically looked like a lie in a sense that that's not what was happening. Everything was being funneled through his grandfather and so on and so forth. But I, the funny, the first thing I thought of was I wondered what players and I thought about Mike Evans and whoever else, and maybe even the coaching on that team had to be aware in watching what they were watching that this guy is literally just out there playing backyard football at times because the off script things that he was doing, although Alabama, you know, their defense wasn't set to handle that type of scrambling running back and everything like that. But it was very odd. A lot of things that were going on in the field. And I can imagine what the coaching staff and what they knew and what they were dealing with at the time is what was going through my mind is what were they truly thinking about what they were seeing on the field? You know, I've got to be honest with you because I haven't watched it yet. And I tell you the truth, I don't know when I'm going to watch it. And the reason why is because I've known people, well, I know people who are associated with him and who've, who've coached him. And just from what I knew from before, it makes it hard for me to actually spend my time and watch it because some of the things that are coming out now that I knew before, and I just felt it was a disrespect to the game of football. It, it was a disrespect to the coaches who were there for him and who, you know, who, who were trying to help him to be a better player you know, and also a better person. So I just, I just haven't gotten around to it. And to tell you the truth, I'm not sure when I'm going to, to, to watch it. It's not like when, when quarterbacks came out. I mean, I jumped on that like right away with this. I'm just like, uh, I'm going to wait a little bit. I'm going to wait. And, you know, and once I watch it, you know, it may change my mind about certain things. But when I get, when I get firsthand information, about this guy, you know, before this came out, I was like, ah, you know what? I can see it. I can understand it. Terrell, I think you need to change your Twitter bio. I think you need to put somewhere in there NFL insider <laughs> because I don't think there's a single player or coach or team that we mentioned that you don't have some kind of inside access to. It really blows me away, man. You are really connected to all these guys. It is an interesting watch, but for someone like yourself, like you said, kind of already knowing what happened. This was really eye-opening for the rest of us. And the, the story behind him and his friend selling autographs for pretty large amounts of money, I thought was really interesting how they just made up this story. Alex mentioned here, they just made up the story about being rich. And then the NCAA bought it and was like, okay, that makes sense. We're cool here. It was crazy. Like it's almost, it felt like the NCAA didn't even care to look into it at all. Some of the other things that really struck me in this documentary was Manziel revealed at one point in this documentary that he planned to party and spend as much of his money as possible before killing himself, which is obviously no laughing matter here. It's just crazy that this was brought up in this documentary, and he claims in the documentary that the gun he bought to do this, to take his life, actually malfunctioned. It just it was weird how they just quickly mentioned this in the documentary and then just moved on. It was really bizarre. When you look at his post-Texas A&M struggles, and, and we kind of all know what happened there, but like I said, it kind of shines a light on just how crazy it really was. You know, the cocaine use and oxycodone addictions, 
he talked about being a frat boy and partying his career away. And then there's a part where Manziel's sister appears on screen and said that her brother is still not well, but they, once again, they don't go into any of that. And then the series ends with him drinking beers and hanging out with some of his friends. And it's like, okay, that's it. And it is as interesting as this documentary was, and there was a lot of things that were very intriguing about it. There was some weird ways that they portrayed this whole documentary. And it kind of makes you wonder if he really is still in a bad place. Cause you know, his own sister coming on and saying, look, like he's not, he's not well. And then they just kind of like, okay, that's it. That's into the story. It was bizarre for sure. Well, let, let me ask you guys this. I mean, and again, I haven't watched it, but don't you think that if, if he got help or if he's getting help that wouldn't they put that in the documentary, you know, because you know, we all know how mental health is, it's a huge issue, you know, nowadays. It's not, it's not hidden as much as it used to be back in the day, which I'm glad it's not. But some of the people may watch that and say, well, you know what, Johnny Manziel is doing this, doing this. And, you know, even though that he was doing cocaine and oxy and drinking, you know, that he's still kind of that person and that mental health is not that important. You know, I mean, wouldn't you think that they would try to put a positive message out there? I think they would have, but I also want to go back to what you said about the hard knocks and saying, we call it B-roll footage. I wonder how much of that cut or cutting room, I wonder how much really ended up on the cutting room floor that we did not see and that was held back because I'm sure he and the executive producer, I'm sure he's, I meant to look to see if he was an executive producer on it, but I'm sure his agent manager, whoever put this whole thing together, they have final edit consideration and there were a lot of things that hit the cutting room floor that we did not know that we probably won't know for another five years you know how that happens things trickle out after the fact so i wonder about that as well well you know but again this is different than hard knocks because this is a documentary and but like you said if he's executive producer but still i mean if if you're a johnny manziel or even his manager or his agent you want to spin this to to show that he's getting help that he's being that he's a lot better now Instead of, you know, that he's still this possible frat boy drinking with his friends and, you know, and not really caring that he, you know, that he committed, tried to commit suicide one time, you know, it's just like, have the wherewithal to think that, look, we can spin this so that it looks good. And it puts out a positive message to anybody else who may be going through this. Yeah, I, I agree, Terrell. I 100% agree because it does, it kind of wraps with him hanging out with some of his boys on a back patio, drinking beers and throwing darts. And it just kind of wraps with that. And just minutes earlier, like I mentioned with his sister saying he's still not well, and it never mentions anything about, you know, Johnny's in treatment, he's getting help or anything. So I think it's a great point. It's a very aware point by you there. I got to give Johnny Manziel some credit. He was an open book in this documentary. You could tell he was not afraid to tell it exactly how it is, exactly how it was, and and was just willing to share everything that went on off the field, on the field, and everything else. It, it's an interesting watch, certainly. Before you move on, Brad, I did want to mention, because there was the, a recent story that came up, the Michael Orr story, the mm. the uh, subject of the blind side, the 23rd overall pick, Michael Orr, and the conservatory that he became aware of that was over him, you know, with the Tui family and everything that was happening around that. I mean, it's still, all details are still coming out, but I just want to make sure that we just briefly mentioned that as well, because I think throughout, maybe throughout the season or maybe even before the season starts, there's going to be a lot to be talked about with that as well. And probably a documentary coming on that as well. So, you know, so I did, I've read like a couple articles about this, you know, whether it's Sports Illustrated or people, whatever it is. And if this is true, which it sounds like some of it is true. Yeah. yeah. It's, you know what, it's going to be so damaging to the Tui family, you know, not only because they took advantage of, you know, of a young man, but you're talking about a family that's in the South that took advantage of a young black man. You know, people are going to run with this. Any way that this turns out, it's not a good look for them whatsoever. And I don't know if they'll be able to recover, but you're talking about a family that left him out of the contract where they get millions of dollars and he didn't receive a penny from this whatsoever. And I can't remember who I was listening to. Oh, I was listening to... um uh, Jason McCourty this morning, and I believe that him and Michael Orr were uh, teammates for a brief time at, uh, I think it was the Titans, and he said that 
that is one thing that Michael Orr never wanted to talk about and that they watched like the first part of the film and Michael Orr just got up and walked out, you know, that it would, it still hurts them. But, you know, but the thing is too, is that it took them this long to find out that this stuff was going on behind his back. So the part of it is one, he found out that he wasn't really adopted Two, the person that signed him up for the conservatory also ended up being his lawyer for the contract as well. So the part where you were talking about just so that everybody understands was they left him out of the residuals of what the movie was, what the movie made. So the movie made 300 million. So they, the Tui family, including the daughter and the son right. had been receiving residual checks, which he was not a part of that he thought that they only received a flat fee up front for the story. And he was paid for that. And that's what it was. He didn't find out until 2016 that there was this conservatory over him in terms of everybody's been hearing about the word conservatory because of Britney Spears, but he was in the same situation. The other part of it was the other part of it was he was upset about the film because he wasn't a dumb student and right. that was fabricated, which could be quote unquote, I'm using air quotes, Hollywood and aspect that that's a part of what really made him upset. He's like, yo, I wasn't, he said, I did go to a bunch of schools and you know, I was in a tough situation. He said, but I wasn't dumb. He said, they made me act like I had a fourth grade education, but all I could do was play football. And that's not true. He said, I was, a, he was that I was an average to good student. I, I wasn't. And that was the part that he was really upset about. Well, also too, you know, when you talked about the lawyer that did the conservatory into the contract also too, was a family friend of the Tuies. Absolutely. So she overlooked everything. And so it wasn't just like the Tui family, but it was their lawyer as well that, you know, that got over on Michael Orr that was not looking out for his best interest, which is a shame. We know how people are, you know, there, there's good and there's bad people, but for people to take advantage of somebody just to line their pockets, it just, you know, to me, that is so despicable. And then they, and then of course, you know, whenever you see them, they're like, oh, he's our son. And they're hugging him and kissing him. And he's, they're all happy when he got drafted, you know, in the first round. But, you know, in the back of their minds, they knew they got over on him and it didn't bother them whatsoever. That's the part that 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 gets to me right there. This is a story that I think is worth watching here because I don't think we've seen kind of the end of this. Right. And and how this is going to play out. And I, right now it looks like just a really, really ugly situation. You know, this is one that we'll be following. You know, this is kind of one of those stories here as things develop in the next several weeks or months. Hey, PGF Nation, are you tired of the same old bland food at your tailgate parties? Well, let me tell you about my friends at the Tailgate Foodie the seasoning and barbecue sauce company that specializes in elevating your tailgate and backyard cooking game. With their unique blend of spices and sauces, the Tailgate Foodie will take your taste buds on a flavor journey that you won't forget. Use code PINTGLASSFOODIE for 15% off your first order at thetailgatefoodie.com. Zencaster is the ultimate web-based podcasting solution. It provides high-quality audio and video podcast production and hosting. With a full suite of professional tools, podcasters can seamlessly record, produce, and publish studio-quality content all from one dashboard. Zencaster's post-production process takes the headache out of audio production. Set the right podcast loudness and levels while reducing background noise with a click of a button. Coordinating all your guests to record in person is painful and tedious. Easily invite up to 11 participants per recording with one click. Go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use my code PGFP, and you'll get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. I want you to have the same easy experiences I do for all my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. Hey there, PGF Nation. You know what's important when you're having a good time? Staying hydrated. And that's where Liquid IV comes in, the category-winning hydration brand that's fueling your well-being. With just one stick of Liquid IV, you get two times faster hydration than water alone. Plus, 
five essential vitamins to keep you feeling your best. And let's not forget about the convenience factor. The packaging is perfect for on the go, whether you're tailgating or just hanging out on the couch. But what really sets Liquid IV apart is the amazing flavors. Personally, I'm all about the Concord Grape and Lemon Lime. And with three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks, Liquid IV is made with premium ingredients to give you the hydration and nourishment you need. Get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code PGFP at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code PGFP at liquidiv.com. So next time you're cracking open a cold one and settling in for the big game, make sure you've got Liquid IV by your side. Trust me, your body will thank you preseason NFL preseason week one I know I've got a lot of thoughts I was glued to the TV this past week I've watched more NFL preseason games than I think I ever have I'm that excited for football I know you guys are as well why don't you start with one or two of your guys's biggest takeaways some things that really stood out to you Alex why don't you kick this off of course Aiden O'Connell if you were listening to me <laughs> yeah. it doesn't matter that he's a Raider I said that <laughs> I hear you laughing Terrell I said this before he was even drafted to the Raiders. I called him the Brock Purdy of this draft. I watched everything at Purdue. This guy had to get every single thing out of the mud. He was a walk-on. He didn't start. He had to work his way through everything. And what I saw was pinpoint accuracy. I even sent Brad some uh, tape breakdown of the throws, the ones that he missed and the ones that he made. I look at even if you miss a throw here or there, did you make the right read? That's what I care about. We can straighten out you getting it, the ball placement, but did you make the right read? And he was just making the right reads and just throwing darts all over the place. Trey Lance, and he does have a little bit of bust dust, as I like to call it on him. But one of the things, and Brad, you've heard me say this before, since 2019, in 2019, Trey Lance had taken 287 live snaps, and he was still in college a junior. Since then, he has only taken 102 live snaps in the NFL. And if you even want to give him the one game that he played during the COVID year 30, that's 132 snaps, that live snaps that he's taken in football since 2019. I'm not sure, and you know, people are really down on him and saying a lot of different things, but I don't know if this is just he's a bad quarterback or if this, this is just the fact that he hasn't been, due to his health, been in practice enough, had enough live snaps so that we can really see what he is. I think there's a lot of, and I'm shooting him some bail on purpose, a lot of, because I've been hearing a lot of people say this, say that. I know that the one touchdown pass he had, if you look at the numbers, but people don't realize unless you saw that game, that one touchdown was actually an interception that was dropped and fell in the hands of another tight end. He just looks like a player that has a lot of rust and needs a lot of practice and a lot of snaps playing to get caught back up and it just kind of irritated me a lot when people were just downing him and just talking about the play and not putting everything in full context which is what I was talking about before and looking at that player so Aiden O'Connell when he went to Purdue his head coach was Jeff Brom and Jeff was with me at the Niners and like so when the season starts I always send Jeff a message like hey you know good luck on with the season same thing I do with PJ Fleck at Minnesota you know and I remember talking to one of our mutual friends who played with Jeff at Louisville. And he said, Jeff is like so excited about O'Connell. I think it was his like his sophomore, junior year. I can't remember which, but he's like, watch this kid. Like he's underrated. And of course being a big 10 guy and watching him play against my Govers, like, man, this kid is like killing people. So when, so when the Raiders drafted him, I was like, you know what, that, that's probably a steal right there. But you know, but we'll go to, we'll go to Trey Lance. Again, I just think with Trey Lance is just, with inexperience comes hesitation and think about how many times he hesitated when he had people open, but he just wasn't sure of himself. So I agree with you. I think it's just the inexperience. He doesn't have enough snaps, you know? So the other two takeaways that I look at is Derek Carr for the series that he played. He looked good. He looked really, really good. And that's another guy that's playing with a chip on his shoulder, but also too, let's go back to the jets and their defense. Their defense looked really good, uh, you know, and again, it wasn't a lot of their starters. 
So, you know, so that and that tells me right there that if somebody goes down, they have somebody that's going to step up and possibly not miss a beat one way or another. Now, the concerning thing that I watched was the Vikings. And again, I'm a Vikings fan. I grew up, you know, in Minnesota. Their running game is not the same. Of course, it's not going to be the same without Dalvin Cook. But even though, you know, you know, Madison didn't play, but their their backup running backs to me didn't look really that good. Chandler looked okay. But when they put everybody else in, it's like there's too way too many mistakes. And Nick Mullins looked good as a backup, but Jaron Hall, and again, I know he's a rookie. I understand it. You know, they they drafted him for a reason. He did not look good to me at all. You know, and maybe it's the first game jitters. I don't know, but it just, to me, it just seems like he didn't have a good feel of the system and that he was not confident enough. You know, uh, Addison looked looked good to me. But still, that that that's concerning to me, and this, and so you know, and so as I'm as I'm watching this game, watching the Vikings play, and I was like, oh man, the running backs are not looking great. Their backups are not looking good. What do they do the next day? They go out and bring Kareem Hunt in for a visit, and that you know, so that tells them something right there that if Madison goes down, that we need another back in here, regardless. Yeah, I want to comment on some of the guys you talked about here, and I'm going to start with Alex here because. Aiden O'Connell, I got to give you a lot of credit here, Alex, because you really have been on this Aiden O'Connell hype train before anybody else. And you've been talking about this kid well back when we started doing the draft coverage. You were talking about this kid as a sleeper. Circle this name. Remember this guy. And I really like what I saw from Aiden O'Connell. I mean, he throws a nice ball. He has nice pocket presence, shuffles around in the pocket. We know he's not a guy that's going to run away from defenders, but I love the presence and the ability to, to escape the rush. He dipped under a blitzer. There was a free blitzer that he dipped right under him and came up throwing. I love when I saw that. That That's just a heady, really nice play. And something that a lot of people don't talk about, he showed me that he knows when to get rid of the ball and throw it out of bounds. And people might say, well, isn't that easy? No, it's it's not easy. A lot of guys make that mistake under pressure and then they throw an interception. This kid already has that savvy veteran uh, level makeup where he knows, look, just get rid of the ball and live to play another down. I love that. I thought he looked really good. And I'm going to say this, he's going to be the starter in Vegas by the end of the year. I'm calling it right now because I think that quarterback room is shaky with Jimmy Garoppolo. We, and I look, I like Jimmy, but he's had an injury history that we know about. And with Josh McDaniels, if they start off the season, like I think a lot of people think they might, that seat's going to heat up in a hurry. And what do coaches do when their seats get hot? They put in a rookie quarterback to try to save their job. And I think this is the guy. So I expect him to have that starting job sooner than later. I love what I saw. Now, their former quarterback, you talked about him, Derek Carr. He looked really comfortable moving around in the pocket, was able to connect on a bunch of different guys, had a nice touchdown drive. Looks like he hit the weight room, too. I don't know if you guys have noticed. He looks like a different guy. His arms are huge. I mean, he he looks like a motivated guy who's really coming in, working hard. He's going to be interesting to watch in New Orleans. Trey Lance. Trey Lance looked really shaky, and I think the inexperience is valid. I Actually, I know it is because he just hasn't played much, but you're kind of hoping if you're the Niners to see something. I think they were hoping like, look, show us something here. Show us some confidence, and I didn't see it. I mean, he struggled to get anything going, and he failed to even pick up a first down until the fourth possession. He just looked really indecisive with the football. I think if you're a Niners fan, even in a backup role, you're hoping that he would kind of maybe do something and show you that some they had some confidence. But I want to jump to some other quarterbacks here. Jordan Love. For me, Jordan yes. Love was impressive. Yes. And he looked like he was really comfortable. We just talked about how uncomfortable Trey Lance looked. Jordan Lo- Love looked like a veteran in this offense. He made some great throws, especially that touchdown toss. Man, he it was really pretty. I mean, he had so, some great touch on that ball. Kenny Pickett. He had a throw where he threaded the needle to George Pickens for a touchdown. And look, I'm not high on Pickett. He's he's a guy that I really didn't like coming out of the draft. I think there's big question marks about him being a franchise quarterback. But he showed me that he's got some more zip on that arm than I think I realized because he put some, some real heat on it, and he looked pretty sharp in the limited amount of action that he got. Now, a high-profile quarterback that I can't wait to get your guys' thoughts on, Russell Wilson. Didn't look the way that I think Broncos fans hoped he would look in the first game with Sean Payton. Yes, he had a touchdown, 
But if you watch that game tape, it was a layup. It was versus cover zero and all out blitz, easy pitch and catch. The offensive line is a concern. This offensive line got lit up in this game. And I think that's concerning because this team made moves to improve that offensive line this offseason. Denver Broncos first team offense. I think they played well into the second quarter. Peyton clearly thinks this team and that side of the ball needs some work still. No, you know what? I, I agree with you, you know, when it came, when it comes to Denver, you know, and I mean, and they're playing a Cardinals team that was basically, you know, playing most of their backups and, you know, and I, I don't think the Cardinals are going to be good this year anyway. So that, that tells you right there that there's some concerns with, I believe right now, both sides of the ball. And it's going to be interesting to see how, you know, how he cleans this up. And it's going to be interesting also to see if they, you know, how much the starters will play this second game. Because usually, that, as we know, that's when most teams will play their starters a little bit more just to give them some reps. So it'll be interesting to see what, you know, what happens with that, you know. But I want to touch on Jordan Love really quick. Because I will tell you, going into the season, I was like, I'm not sure about him. I really not, was not. But like you, I was impressed with what he did because he did look comfortable. But now let's see if the rest of the team can perform as well. And I, you know, I said this on another podcast that I think it was a dogfight between the Packers and the Bears who's going to finish last. That may have changed my mind to where you know, the Packers may be ahead of the Bears just, just a little bit. For that, for that third position. But the, but the last thing that I'll touch on really quick is, you know, we talk about the Niners and Trey Lance. Besides, you know, Trey Lance being inconsistent, it's that backup offensive line because they gave up, what, three, four sacks in the first couple series right there. So you're hoping, you're, you're praying to the, to the injury gods that nobody on that offensive line goes down for any amount of time because there could be some some problems there. Denver, yeah, they revamped the offensive line. They brought in Mike McGlinchey, I believe. So they should they should be looking a lot better. But again, the starters were not in, so we're going to have to wait and see. But I will say this, and I've said it before: I don't know who Sean Payton is, and when I say that, he is another person similar to John Gruden that had been given this QB whisperer tag. And I don't know who the QB is that he has done this with, right? We could talk about Kyle Shanahan. We can go down the list. We could talk about Sean McVay, go down a couple, go at least through two to three names. Same thing. And obviously Andy Reid is the, is, is the goat of that currently that's coaching the league. I don't know if Sean Payton and if Russell isn't fixed, it's going to be interesting to see where the blame lies here. Is it Sean Payton or is it Russell Wilson in terms of, why they aren't succeeding because for years, at least for the, I would say two to three years leading up to last season, I remember hearing all the fans say, we're just a quarterback away. Our defense is fine. We're just a quarterback away. There's the infamous stat of if they had simply scored 19 points in their first 10 games last year, they would have been 19. They were, excuse me, they would have started this year nine and one. So if this offense doesn't get off the ground, who should we be looking at? Is it Sean Payton? Or is it Russell Wilson? Because something's not adding up to me, and I'm not going to sit here and just simply point the finger at Russell Wilson. It's going to have to be, I'm going to have to look at Sean Payton, you know, and, I, and I've said in the previous pod, I'm not sure there's a little bit of overhype on what people have catapulted Sean Payton to. I don't know if he is what people keep trying to tell me that he is. Again, I think he's, I think he's a good coach, but I think you're right. I think you're going to have to, well, let's put it this way. If they don't do well, you, you have to put the blame on both. You have to put the blame on Sean Payton. You have to put the blame on Russell, but you probably put the more of the blame on Sean Payton because of what he's come in. Well, like you said, you know, the, the so-called title that they've given him, but also too, you know, the comments that he made about Nathaniel Hackett, you know, coming from that, that coaching, you know, family, you don't do that. You don't, I don't care what you think about another coach. You don't say it publicly. So now, guess what? Now you have more pressure on yourself. And the one thing that I do know about Sean Payton from the insiders, I know that he doesn't really give a damn about what he says and about whom sometimes. And that's, and that's evident. So, so I think he's, he's got a lot of pressure on himself. Yeah, there's a lot of pressure for sure on him, on that team. Obviously, with the type of money and investment they made in Russell Wilson and now bringing in Sean Payton, 
this team needs to make some noise. There's no doubt about it. It's going to be a fun watch to kind of see what they do. And I think as far as putting the blame for me, it's going to come down to the tape because the tape never lies. When we look back on this season, win or lose, we're going to look and see was the play call, the right play call Were guys open, were there things available and Russell didn't hit him, didn't make the throws or was there some bad play calling some bad play designing going on? And can we put the blame on Sean Payton? So we'll see because it's going to be an interesting marriage between these two guys kind of wrap up with a few more thoughts here about preseason week one because I had a couple other guys that I wanted to highlight here. Patriots rookie Keon White. Uh-huh. I know you briefly talked about him, Alex, and this is a guy that both of us during the the draft episodes, we really liked this guy's tape. We thought this was a really nice pick by the Patriots, but he was impressive even from what I expected. He played 27 snaps in the first half, lined up all over the defensive line, did a gr- did a really nice job against the run, three tackles, a forced fumble. He had a play where he chased down C.J. Stroud and tackled him short of a first down on a third and fourth scramble that really opened my eyes. I said, wow, that kid has got some skills and some athleticism to him that really jumped off the tape. Now, C.J. Stroud, on the other hand, did not look very good in this game, never looked comfortable. I don't want to put too much into it. I know like this is all just preseason stuff. None of this stuff is going to mean too much here in a few weeks when the real bolts start to fly. But I think as a Texans fan, it has to be a little disconcerting when you see your number two overall pick looking that shaky in his first action. I'm going to be interested to see kind of how he looks in week two and if he can settle down and make some more throws. Another quarterback, though, that I really want to talk about here, and I want to get your guys' thoughts, because I love what I saw and what I've seen, I should say, from Dorian Thompson-Robinson against two solid defensive teams, the Jets and Commanders. DTR has gone 17 of 21 and is averaging five yards per rush. He came into the NFL with a lot of starts under his belt at UCLA, and he looks really poised for a rookie. I mean, I watched him somewhat in, at UCLA, you know, and I said, you know, he's he's a pretty good, you know, quarterback. Last year that he played, I was like, you know what, I think he's underrated. And I knew that when I said that, that I had some credibility because they brought him, the Niners brought him in for a workout. And Kyle loved, loved him. But, you know, they had, they already had three quarterbacks. You know, well, you know then they sent Brandon Allen. But I guarantee you this, if somebody was hurt or you know somebody wasn't performing well then you know i think they would have they, they would have drafted him you know but after you know after i heard that i was hoping the vikings would take him because i figured that he would be a good backup you know to kirk cousins and with mullins there for him to learn but can you imagine if you had that guy in camp with the vikings and they had another year or two under the belt with kirk cousins this kid is good he's really really good and I think he's very underrated. I watched it. <laughs> it's preseason. He did look good. He he came in and did the job that I would have expected him to do. I'm interested to see if he can be developed into an actual quarterback or how they would decide to use him. Maybe they have some, excuse me, different packages, maybe some goal line things they can do with his speed and everything like that and RPOs. But, you know, to his credit, he did look good. I have some other thoughts, but they, those are really more based on what I saw in college. So I won't get on him for that and instead praise for what I saw as well. You know, one one more player I want to mention. He only had two snaps. And Brad, I don't know if you got a chance to see the film I sent you on just the two, the two snaps that he took. But he just caused havoc. Jalen Carter with oh. the sw- Oh, my <laughs> goodness. I don't know who number 60. I just remember the number. But whoever number 66 is for the Ravens, you better center yourself a little bit more if you're going to if you're already getting beat like that. And then to chase down Josh Johnson, who may be a more of a veteran quarterback, but does still have some speed on him. I mean, he was on him like white on rice as soon as he got through that line. And it was just two. All he did was place two snaps and two snaps. He was completely disruptive. Well, you know, yeah, you know what, and those, <laughs> those, those, those are some great points because you know how people kind of, I guess, devalued Jalen Carter. But I mean, you look at their defense, even with Nolan Smith. I mean, he played well too, and they got him. You know, right now it's scheduled as as a backup. He's he's second on the depth chart. So so 
I mean, again, you look at the Eagles, they know what they're doing. You know, they get that pipeline into Georgia. So, so yeah, they're, 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 they're going to be good. Some other guys that I wanted to highlight here was Justin Fields. Had a nice game. Finished with 129 yards, two scores. Kind of looking to see if he takes that big step. I think that's the big question mark for him. They've kind of built this team with some improved offensive weapons around him, an improved offensive line. I think people are kind of waiting to see if he can make that big step at becoming more of a franchise quarterback that a lot of us thought he could be coming out of college. But I think it was nice to see him come out and and have a nice game, especially throwing the ball. You mentioned Jordan Addison, the rookie out of USC playing for the Vikings. I was impressed. And I liked this kid coming out of USC. I thought he was a really good prospect. Really liked what I saw from him. Tank Dell had some highlight reel plays for the Texans. He's another guy uh, to circle here. And the last guy that I want to mention here, Anthony Richardson, quite frankly, looked like a guy with 13 college starts. We love the talent. We love the upside, but it was ugly. He threw an ugly pick in this game, and he really had some shaky moments. Now, like I said, 13 starts and a huge lack of experience for him. We knew he was a developmental prospect, so definitely not going to jump to any conclusions based off of just this small sample size, but definitely not an exciting thing to see for your starting quarterback this season for the Colts. Bryce Young, number one overall pick, of course, was under pressure behind what I think should be a good offensive line. And when I saw that, it made me think two things. One is the Panthers offensive line as good as we think they're going to be, or is the Jets defensive line just that damn good? And I think they might be that good. This Jets defensive line looks deep and explosive. Yeah, you know, so if we go to Anthony Richardson, (laughs) I mean – I think I think it was no surprise when people you know when they announced that oh he's going to be our starting quarterback I'm like yeah okay that's you know you, you draft him for a reason but you know but he's going to a team that I think is not very good but also too you've got a lot of internal problems going on with that team you know you you know the whole deal with Jonathan Taylor going on you know I think Michael Pittman's going to be a uh, free agent after this year so you got a lot of things going on and they're they're not a very good team and. Richardson's going to have some some growing pains. I think he's going to have a lot of a lot of growing pains, you know, this year. That is going to do it for part one of this episode. But if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you get the notification when part two of this episode drops. We each pick our favorite NFL future bets for the upcoming season, and we'll preview the NFC East. So you're not going to want to miss out on part two of this episode.